It's August 14th, 2023. This is the best of Rook. Welcome to episode 279 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto. Hello to you from Canada. Salam Dustan Aziz. Hope you're doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Today's episode is part of a Best of Rook series we are bringing to you for the entire month of August, where we're looking back at some of our favorite interviews over the last three and a half years since we launched, and some of our most moving or entertaining moments, and we're giving them to you. We've curated our faves, and we hope you check out these conversations, especially if you may have missed them the first time. Today, two interviews with two prominent young fighters of Iranian background who have remarkable stories of perseverance, of commitment, and finding success. Both of these interviews really blew us away at the time, as these two figures are really pillars of strength in overcoming adversity. First up, he has become one of the most buzzed about young fighters in the UK today, an Iranian refugee who is getting a lot of attention in the boxing ring. But the story of how Ali Reza, Razor Ali Qadidi, got to England and climbed his way in the boxing world is the stuff of movies. His journey is a harrowing one from tragedy as a small child, losing his family in a car crash to living on the streets and gang life in Tehran as a teenager. But Ali found his way to asylum in the UK and now still in his early 20s has fought at Wembley Arena and has an audience of support around the world. We bring you Razor Ali today. And then Pani Bonsai Kianzad, Iranian-Swedish mixed martial artist and the first and only Iranian-born woman to ever be signed by UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship. She is passionate, powerful, and defied any old gender stereotypes while climbing her way to the top of the MMA world. Pani Kianzad coming up as well. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Instagram, CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, check us out on YouTube. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in both Persian and in English, check us out on Telegram. Remember to support our program. You can go to our website, rookmedia.com and become a Rook member on Patreon by pressing that support us button on the main page. We really appreciate it if you're a regular listener. Rookmedia.com or you can become a sponsor or advertiser on our program. Check out the links to how you can contact us at our website. All right, let's get started. All right, my first guest today on The Best of Rook is a young professional boxer with a powerful story of perseverance that is kind of the stuff of movies. Ali Reza, Razor Ali Qadiri, is an Iranian boxer based in London, England, who has built his story with hard work, determination, hope, and strength. He was born and raised in a perilous area of southern Tehran, where fighting was not a hobby, but a way of survival. 
He has quite a tragic backstory of a difficult childhood in Iran. He arrived in the UK still in his teens with little in his pockets, sought asylum and lived on the streets of East London for quite some time. He's now 25 years old and is making a serious name for himself in the boxing world, regularly fighting in such venues as Wembley Arena in front of thousands of people and a global audience on satellite TV. Ali Reza Qadiri, better known as Razor Ali, joined me from London, England. Here's our conversation. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? It's, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, it's always good to to be around, tell the story of the people and inspire some people. So thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, you are one of the highest regarded young fighters in the UK. Uh, just off the top, how does that feel after all you've been through? Dream come true. That's how it feels, dream come true. But I still got a very long way to go, uh, make it to the top. I don't really feel like I have it all, you know, because I'm really hungry. So there's a long way to go. But it feels good to be here because to be here one day was a dream. Ali, you, you posted a photo of yourself a few days ago um, saying, uh, just being happy. It says, I'm just being happy. And you look relaxed. You have a big smile in your fancy jacket with a guitar in the background. I mean, it was really nice to see after all you've been through, which we'll get into. But is that a face that you put on for social media or you do you really feel that happy these days? No, no, no. I, I'm always happy. Like I, Since I remember, like since being a little kid, I'm always happy. I'm always smiling. Always smiling. It's just, as my friend always told me, uh, Happiness is a choice, so just want to be happy. Your Instagram tagline is "All hustle, no luck." <laughs> Can you explain That's that? Right. Yes, yes. It's, it's just my mentality, you know. Uh, uh, I'm a hustler. I call myself a hustler. Uh, I wake up every day. I hustle to make dream come true. In my life, nothing really been given to me, so I had to fight. So it's just, it's just all hustle and no luck. Um, hard work dedication and uh, everything you want you can achieve that's that's the only way that if otherwise like you got i don't know it's, it's never been easy to come someone give it to you it's never been like that for me yeah you do say that you appreciate each day when you wake up that you're alive and that's quite something for a 24 year old to say I, I mean there have been times in your life when each day was literally a matter of trying to survive yes that's true, yes. Um, still is the same, you know. Um, sometimes I'm like asking myself, oh my God, my dream's too big. Um, it scares me. And I'm just trying because for me, I want it all. And even like now I have enough for myself. I'm like, oh no, it's a matter of surviving because I don't want this. But back in the day, it was a bit, a bit, a bit worse because it was different where I came from, the ghetto where I came from. Um, it was very different. It was just about to be alive, really to be alive, you know, physically to be alive because you just fight on the street. I've, I've seen my friends get stabbed and different things. So the journey to be here today, it was scary. I'm happy. Like every day I wake up, I'm going to the park for my running or by the canal when I run, see the water, see the beautiful sky. I'm like, um, as long as I can run, as long as I've got two arms to fight, hmm. as long as I breathe and I'm alive, anything I want, I can achieve. 
And my biggest dream is just to live every day, just being happy, you know? Well, listen, I, wa I want to talk to you a little bit about where you are now and, and certainly where you're going, but um, let's talk about where you, where you come from because we've referenced it a couple of times, but, um, and I know it's a difficult story, uh, so I, I'm almost self-conscious about making you uh, tell the story again, but, um, but just so folks know what you've been through, um, first of all, take us right back to, to being born in Tehran. At the age of two, um, your dad and your mom divorced. Your dad uh, was addicted to heroin. You were taken in by your grandparents. What, what can you tell us about what was happening with you at that very, very early age? Um, it was it was tough time. Um, being in a really unstable family and my father was heroin addicted. Uh, the environment in the house is not a good place for a child. Where I'm from is not safe for a child. So, like, you can be at home and you can be outside. It's just, you, you feel like it's the end of the world. Mm. You think, you know, like, at some point, you're going to give up to the environment. But I personally think it's almost impossible to win against environment because how do you want to survive when your family your parents are they just can't give it to you simple they just can't give it to you do you remember when you found out that you're or how you found out that your dad i mean you're a little kid has some kind of addiction well when i start recognizing what's going on around me like when i was five six seeing um when my parents divorced but like my mom said to me your, your father is taking drug and um, obviously, like, in the ghetto, everyone's taking drugs. So I knew what is drug in early age. So, yes, I knew, like, my, my father is taking drug, uh, heroin. And and then, like, when I was six, I had a car crash and I lost my family. And the only person who survived it was me and my grandpa. Um, a couple of times I mentioned in my interviews, the only person who survived it was me. But it was my grandpa as well. But my grandpa wasn't in the car. It was outside because he was trying to get the the car fixed. Um, yeah, this is a let, let me just ask you to tell tell this. I mean, this is an incredibly harrowing story. So so you're already sort of displaced as a kid as a product of what we've just talked about with your parents. And then you there's a bunch of you in a car. Is, is this in Tehran? This is um, we went uh, we went to Qom uh, on the way back. We got punctured. In the motorway, and it's like a bunch of us, like our relative, my aunties. My aunties were like my parents, to be honest, because they were the one they were looking after me. Because there was no mom, there was no dad, grandpa, like or grandma, like really not there for me. So it was really my auntie. So I, I was really attached to them, um, and I saw them burned to death. Um, and the only person survived it was me, and then it was this. This car, he was, they were they were drunk. Two guys and one girl coming back from home to Tehran, and then um, they lost control and they literally um, drove into us. The car exploded, um, and um, like everybody literally burned. Everybody burned. I was burned. I was burned. Um, all my face was burned. My hands, my legs. You end up in hospital for weeks, right? Or no, no, I was there for three months, as three my months. mother said. Yeah. I was I was too young to remember, but my mother said to me, you were in the hospital for three months. Um, so, 
but I had very special treatment. Um, it was tough. Um, I remember like I was getting unconscious because they were taking me to steam room um, with a jet brush, try to scrub my face, you know. Um, um, it was too painful. Just imagine right now you're just going to burn your hand. I don't know, you're doing barbecue, burning your hand, how painful it is. And all my all my body's burned. And then not only that, they, they're scratching me. Um, so it was it was difficult. Uh, all my life I've been fighting. First of all, I'm I'm so so sorry that you, you went through that. I mean, it is I'm, I, one's heart goes out to you. Do you do you still see that vision of that burning car? Do you do you how do you even cope with? Uh, I mean, you've obviously you know figured this out in terms of moving on with your life, but it's a tremendously traumatic thing for it to happen to a kid. Um, you believe me or not? I just don't know how did I get over it. I still don't know, you know, like it's my question too. How how do I not think about it? Maybe I was just too busy trying to survive or my dream of being so happy was too big for me. Or I, I really don't know, to be honest, like, because I know a lot of people go through not as much as me and they just struggle for the rest of their life. I've seen, I've seen with my eyes, I have mm. friends. And but I ask myself like, how do I not dream about it anymore? Or like, I don't know. I don't think about it. I, I just do you do you have PTSD? It. Do you wake up in a sweat thinking yes, about it? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't wake up in sweat. But like, yes, I wake up very moody sometimes. Mm. And my mood is not like oh, someone made me upset. No, I just wake up for no reason, mm. and I'm and I'm sad. Mm. You know, I wake up for no reason. Not and a, a night before, a day before, I had the best time of my life. But I wake up. And I'm very sad. I don't know that. Like, well, I think it's that one, you know. But I try to figure myself out. When sometimes I wake up and I'm sad for no reason, I start praying or I'm just looking for something to make me happy. I don't know. I just go buy myself flower or I just listen to my mm -hmm. favorite music or I just go in my in my photos, look at my holidays picture, or whatever. I just I go to gym straight away to not think about it because if I let it to grow in me, I would be one of those one. I would be wasted thinking about my my problems all the time. Oh, why my father wanted to sell me for heroin, or why I lost my parents, or like my, my family, or yeah. I should explain that the story is that um, you're in the hospital for months, and then your your father. This is when you're six years old. Your father returns to pretty much kidnap you, right? He takes you into hiding and tries to sell you for drugs. Yes. He just came. It was one day. He was very high. He came. I remember, and then he asked my mom, "I'm gonna take Adi Reza." My mom was like, "No, you can't." I remember my mother said, "Like, come on, you you addicted yourself. How do you want to look after him?" But you know, in Iran back in the day, and it's still now, it's man's man country. You know, um, so he literally took me. No one could do anything. Uh, he took me to the place called um, Shurabad. It's very close to. Home. He took me like it was like desert. A lot of, um, you know, the place they keep the cows and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, very scary place. I remember the details to be honest. Um, the place he took me there for for one year. I was there, um, and then one day he literally, I could hear because it was in little room. I could hear them. This couple they came to to get me from my father for money, and then. I was very lucky. I was like, I was talking. I said, God, if you really exist and if you hear me, you know, everything happened to me, but like, don't let this one happen, you know, because 
only thing I wanted was to go to my mom. But if they would buy me, I could never go to my mom. Like, and then um, I remember they didn't have the cash. My father, you know, he wouldn't care about anything else. He just wanted the cash to go buy drugs. So they didn't have the cash with them. They wanted to f- see me first and then go bring the cash. My father said, no, you, you don't have the money. You, you, don't, you don't see him. Just give me the money, take the kid. And I, I, I was just hearing all these conversations. And I was thinking, like, how can my own blood, my father, do this mm. to his son, you know? But, like, I went, I went through this process in my life, and I've seen a lot of different people. Like, when you're taking drugs, it's just nothing you can do, you know? I, now, maybe because I forgave him, maybe I just say, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't feel bad about him anymore. I mean, needless to say, first of all, you were not, I'm guessing you weren't in school, right? Even when you were six or seven years old, if your dad could. Yeah. And do you know where your dad is now? I think he's dead. Nobody knows. He disappeared when I was nine years old. Last time I saw him, he was in his mother's house, my, my grandmother. And then he called my house. He said, listen, I'm here. Do you want to come and see me? I remember I had a gold chain. My mother said to me, please leave it at home because he's going to take it away from you. I said, no, he's not going to take it away from me. But I never hated my dad. That's the thing. That's the weird thing. I don't know why. I never, even when he wanted to sell me, I, I never even hated him. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, he was one of these very rare people in my life. I could never hate him. Even though when I would understand how does it feel to be in control by drugs, so I said to my mother, no, I'm going to go see my dad and I'm not going to take my chain off. I trust him. My grandmother was like, you dumb. I said, no, no. So I remember I took my bicycle. It was a summer day. I went to my other grandmother. I saw my father. I was so happy to see him. And he hugged me so much. And that was the last time I saw my father when I was nine. Um, he hugged me, he kissed me, and then I just went back home because I had to go to my to my grandmother because he was she would never let me go to them to my fam father's side. But I really resist that I want to go see my father. And I'm I'm delighted I went and I did it because that was the last if I wouldn't go, I wouldn't see my father for last time. So mm. I went there, I saw him. I was very keen to talk about big things, but I just I just saw him like any any little kid seeing his father, and um, it was hard. But then, in early age, I was just I realized what doesn't kill me really makes me stronger. What can, so what like everything is happening to me? What can I do about it? I just want to be happy, you know. Well, Ali, you I mean you. First of all, this is even just hard to hear, let alone what you've been through. So no one would blame you for, you know, getting involved in gang life after this. By your early teens, from what I understand, you were involved in gangs. This is, I guess, about 10, 15 years ago in in Iran. How would you describe gang life in Tehran when you were involved? Um, It's different. Like, people for no reason want to fight each other, you know. I believe everywhere is the same. Like this area fighting the other's area for for literally nonsense. They just bunch of people have no purpose in their life and have no education. 
the only thing they can do is literally fighting each other, harming each other. Um, I literally remember I was in my neighborhood from the other area. This guy came up to my friend. He was very handsome, tall, very confident. I was like maybe five, six years old, younger than him. I, I literally remember that, that moment someone looked at his eyes and then they started fighting. And then he literally stabbed the knife in his heart. He died. And then I was like, I couldn't get over it with, with my head. You know, that was like, my friend literally died there. The guy stabbed him in the heart. That that simple, that simple. And the guy ran away and uh, nothing happened. They couldn't find him. They couldn't find him. It, it's so weird because that was when I was 15. Now I'm like 24. One of my friends called me and we, we talked about it. I was like, they didn't get the guy still. Mm. And th- this guy had something very special about him, my friend. He just died like that. Like, you know how many kids like him die? Look, I'm here. I had the potential to be here. If I would be there, if I would be a stab, or if I wouldn't run away, this potential would be raised. What area was this in Tehran? Islam Shah. Mm. So many like me, like I, honestly, honestly, some I remember I was going to this like to my gym. I was always the hardest worker in the gym, but I wasn't the most talented person. My coach, he used to always tell me, listen, look at I, I always getting medals, trophies, stuff like that. I never forget my coach was telling me, listen, you're not the most talented, you're the most hard worker. Mm. They they are very more uh, they're much better than you. They have more talent than you, but they're all dead now, or they are drug addicted. Um, so imagine if, if they would run away, if they had the chance to not be involved in that environment, imagine they, they could be someone better than me. Mm. They could they could be here, represent their country, represent their family, not go hurting each other, not going making troubles on the streets. Because I wasn't the most talented person. That that was so obvious to me. Can I ask you, I mean, it's it's clear that you're not a drug addict now. Uh, how is it that you avoided that? Uh, obviously, when, when I see my father was heroin addicted, and the only thing my, my mother was telling me, she, she would never tell me, don't go and fight. She would never tell me, like, don't make trouble. But the only thing she was reminding me every day, don't take drugs. Don't take drugs. That was the only thing she would tell me every single day. I remember, like, I was coming home, blood was everywhere on my body. She knew I'm fighting on the street, this, that. That wasn't as big as if she would see me taking drugs, mm. you know? Um, and she she really, my mother worked so hard. I could see, like, she was my hero, literally working all day, all night, um, putting me in the classes, go, I don't know, do basketball, go to play football, like just being a sport, you know. Um, I had no choice. I had to be on the street because of many reasons that maybe not people will understand. Home wasn't a good place for me because in home, my situation was really worse than outside. Seeing people getting killed, I could take that, but I couldn't take to be home because my grandmother, like, she lost two of her daughters. She would hurt herself every day. Oh. And I couldn't see her screaming and 
crying and then she had long nails scratching her face you know this is like in the culture um i couldn't see that that was really hard you know i i, I really wanted to be on the street that was better than home ali you uh, something happens around this time that is obviously a major part of the path that's led you to where you are today which is that I guess fighting, um, kickboxing, uh, martial arts, etc., becomes an outlet for you. And I think you were being modest a moment ago, where you said I, I wasn't the best, I wasn't that good. Because by the time you're in your mid-teens, you're you're competitively, as you say, you're winning medals and you're you're competing at an organized level. When did you know, or when did the people around you know that that you got a real talent for this? Since the first day I went to the gym. I never forget the first day I went to kickboxing gym. I was very little, only eight years old. It was very old fashioned. Everyone's sweating. I don't know how to punch. I, I remember I stood next to a very tall guy and they, they showed me how to punch. All I could do, I was really hyped and really full of energy. Um, they taught me how to punch, how to how to fight. Uh, they took me to a fight. I I really had this kid. We were both like eight years old. He had started crying. You know, I won the fight, but they raised both of us hands. And then fight after fight after fight. Uh, never lost any fight when I was back home, especially when I was younger. They couldn't really fight me. Since they won, like everyone knew, like I got something in me. I think I was made for this. You know. To fight. Can I can I ask you a weird question? I mean, maybe I don't understand that. You're physically like you, you know you are not a huge guy, right? You're not super tall. No, you're I'm, not... I'm a small guy. So so does it surprise people <laughs> when they they look at you and then they, then they find out just how good a fighter you are? Um, sometimes yes, I, I really get this like because I'm not really big guy or my my face doesn't look really angry or I don't have. Like Mike Tyson, you know, boxers, things <laughs> right, and stuff right, like that. Right. So when I told them I'm a professional boxer, I showed them my 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 tape, my videos and stuff. They're like, oh, I can't believe that. Like, yeah, it, it surprised people sometimes. Oh, I love colors. Like I wear pink. I go on the street. Like people are like, are you a professional boxer? I'm like, yes. I mean, if it weren't for some of the tough guy tattoos, you kind of just, you look like an artistic Persian kid. Like, you know, you know, you look like a, a guy who could be in a band or something, you know, you don't, you don't really look like a... I wish, <laughs> I wish. I, I literally buy a piano because I really want to play music, instruments. Uh, fighting is the other side of me. Fighting is really the other side of me. Like, believe me, when I go in a ring, I'm surprised by the person I become. It's not me, like... Well, that's interesting. I don't know how, I just don't know how to describe it. Like, I just love the violence when I go in the ring. But when I'm getting out of the ring, I just want to have fun, peace, love, you know. Let me come back to that. Let me just hear about the how you end up finally leaving Iran. Because there was an interview I saw you in where you said uh, you could no longer stay in Tehran when you were 17 because the police were after you. Why were the police after you? I was very crazy, you know. Like, I was doing stupid things now when I think about it, how someone could do that. I was going in my school. I'm ashamed to say that, but like, I was going there saying there was no God, you know, there was no Allah, like they lying to us. Um, and please don't come talk about religion to me because 
sama language. I don't take shit, you know. You come up to me, you tell there is God. I've, I lost my family mm. since age of two. Like my parents divorced, um, been kidnapped on the streets and so many other things. And you tell me there is a God. No, there is not a God. Uh-huh. So, and you go to school and they force you mm. to read Quran. They, they force you. And I was like, no, like there is no God. You cannot say that in Iran. People really, they don't dare to talk about these things, especially in like age of 15, going, standing on your wall in your school and shouting out loud, there is no God. God is dead. There is no God. But, I, but I've got to tell you an amazing thing, which is that, you know, I've never heard you tell the details of this. So when I heard you say this in an interview, you're involved in gangs and the police were after you. You know, I'm thinking that you're doing something nefarious, like you've stabbed someone or you've robbed something, you've robbed a bank or something. It turns out that you were just saying that there's no God. No, no, I I, I did things like I fought a lot, but I've been in, like police came after us to get us. But in Iran, you literally can pay any, anyone, especially my coach in Iran. He was from where I, where I where I'm from like he was very well known every every time I make trouble with one phone call they would let us go you know um but here was a free country I I'm I'm man enough to talk about my thoughts my opinion I just want to respect people a bit more you know it's not about I got that, you like, I got you but I, I but you also say things like you're a spiritual person and you say thanks God and things like that so uh, ha- have you changed your position on religion or do you just kind of oh no I'm, I'm I don't believe in I don't believe in God I'm not religious I'm very spiritual I believe in energy I believe in universe I believe in karma like uh, as Iranians say as hard as but yes that's me I'm 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 praying every day. Every day I pray to my to my to my God, to my energy. Um, Tell me about how you actually end up leaving Iran and how, and ending up in in London. Was it was it a literally an escape or how how do you how'd you get out? I, I remember I was 15 years old. It was 2014. I went to to a fight. They they call it best of the best. I was very light. I was like maybe 55 kilogram. I. I took the fight. I was fighting a guy much bigger than me. Uh, I did really well. This promoter came up to me and said, listen, you're really good, you know. Um, do you want me to take you to China for a fight? I was like, uh, I don't say no to that, you know. That's an opportunity. So I went to China. I took my bag alone. I went to China. I couldn't speak in English, nothing. And I didn't know even who I'm fighting, you know. I wonder the guy was 26 years old, three times world champion. And then with confidence, I can say I was very strong in Iran. Like I would fight a man and I would, I would have nothing less than them power-wise. Mm. I faced this guy, I went in the ring in front of like 30,000 people in the, in the arena. I remember this champion came in the ring and he kicked me in my, in my arm. You know, like in, this, in two seconds when I got hit, I thought to myself, please give up now because he's going to smash you to pieces. He's going to destroy you. And then I was like, no, no, it's not in my blood to give up. Let me just get destroyed in the ring, but I'm not going to leave the ring, you know. So I lost the fight by the point. I survived for the for the whole round. And it was an amazing experience. I came home 
And I said to my mother, mom, I think I have to go. Because if I'm here, look, I'm fighting every day. I used to run away from home and nobody knew where I am for literally a month. There was no phone to call me, nothing. Like my mother was like, is he alive? Where is he? Nobody knew where I am. I would run away, go, go to different cities, disappearing for a month, um, didn't, didn't finish my education. Um, so my mom was like, I said, please give me some money, let me just go. And then my mom just gave me some money, whatever she had, she gave me. I remember it was midnight. I went to airport. I kissed my mother's hand and my grandmother. I said to them, listen, um, I leave. I don't know if I'm going to be alive or not because I don't know what's ahead for me, you know. Different culture, different country. I'm away smuggling myself to Europe. It's not like you're taking the plane. You go there, I'm smuggling myself. Anything that can happen to me. Um, if I arrive and if I'm alive, I make you proud. And here we are today. Wow, man. If there's a, first of all, if there's a, a smart uh, investor listening right now, uh, they should lay down a few million dollars for the, the, the movie rights to your story because this, <laughs> the more you talk, I think, oh my God, this is a feature film at the very least. Uh, you've said something quite remarkable, which is that, I mean, very telling, which is that when you arrived in London, so you're you know 18 years old, this is 2016, this is six years ago, you're an asylum seeker, you're in East London, um, you end up living on the streets which would be for anyone else, you know, harrowing in and of itself. You've said that even when you were living on the streets, you were happy because it was a safe place. What, what do you mean by that? You just have to physically go to see where I'm from. That's the only way I can describe. I can tell you till tomorrow morning how bad is my ghetto or many ghetto in Tehran where I'm from, like different places, but you literally have to go there physically see it with your eyes and sense it how violence it is i'm telling you people get killed over the conversation so how can east london on the street not be safe for me nobody nobody want to fight for no reason people are busy they just need to pay their bills they're happy they they got other problems they're not coming to fight me i'm i'm sleeping on the street no one tell me anything <laughs> And even people would look at me, oh, look at this this guy, you know, like because I was very young to be homeless. Like other people, like you can see, they're older, they're homeless, sleeping on the street. I was very young, but like I have a picture of myself when I show it to my friend. Like my face changed so much since like two, three years ago. Like now I look like adult. I was very baby faced even when I was 21. Imagine when I was like 18, I was. I was so happy. I can describe. Honestly, I can describe. I had my smile coming to my ears. Um, so happy. I was going. I was going to gym and then get bruised in my eyes and I was bleeding and my t-shirt was wet and I don't remember like, two two free t-shirt. Um, I still have my first t-shirt I bought in this country. My cousin bought it for me. I still have it in my wardrobe. Um, by, by the way, by the way, that. by the way, you didn't speak the language, right? You didn't speak English, no. and you didn't have enough money for food. You're living on the streets. I mean, um, 
how, how did you even make it through from day to day? Or was it just that when you talk about that juxtaposition, that comparison to where you came from, it didn't even matter. You were just happy to be no. in a free place. That's that. And also, you can leave me anywhere. I know how to survive. Hmm. It's just so natural to me to survive, you know. <laughs> it really doesn't matter where I am. I, I know how to feed myself. I know how to protect myself. Um, and the rest is just okay, you know, like you build up. Um, and I just had to work hard to make my dream come true. Um, I, rem I remember I went to the gym. Uh, my friend from US, from Chicago, Ali, he WhatsApp me this place that for me is a professional boxing gym. Go there. I went there. I didn't know what's Google Map. I didn't know how to use it. By the way, th this is part of the incredible story. You're not a boxer yet at this point, right? When you arrive in the UK, oh. you don't even have a boxing background. I mean, you've been a kickboxer, you've been a, yes. a fighter, but you don't. You're not really. The fact that you're one of the you know uh, most buzzed about boxers in the UK now is even more remarkable. Given that just a few years ago, when you arrived, you you had no experience boxing, right? No, it's, thank you for mentioning it because it's totally different. Boxing and kickboxing is like different ball game. Uh, it's like playing tennis and badminton. It's just different. Not because there is kickboxing is you're a boxer. That's why I was, I had my face all bruised every day because I didn't know how to box. Hmm. I didn't know how to move. So I was literally a target. I would get any punch. I couldn't move my head. Coming home, my, my nose is bleeding. I got black eye everywhere. Um, and I'm like going to this place. I said, I want, I want a box. They told me. I said to actually, you know, I saw this guy after five years, couple of months ago. I said, Do you remember me to that guy? He said, No, I don't remember you. I said, No, you're lying to me. You remember me because you are the guy. I came up to you five years ago. I said, I don't know how to box. You uh, I said, Can I train here? You said to me, You have, you have money. I said, No. Um, you said to me, You have to clean the toilet. Uh, so I let you train in the gym. I'm the same guy. Look, I'm here today. Hmm. I told him in his face. But none of them really mattered to me. I just had a dream. You know, when you have a dream, nothing matters to you. When you're hungry, nothing matters to you. Nothing really breaks you. Um, but, you fight but, the world. But when you go to, uh, isn't it true that you went to this um, West Ham Boxing Club and uh, they ask you, they, they go, okay, show us what you can do. And you end up sparring and, and you really don't know what you're doing. And But they they come away impressed because they say, even though you don't know how to box, you know how to fight really well, right? That they yes, could, I went there, I went, uh, they said to me, um, okay, you want to box? Jump in the ring. Literally like in the movies. Um, you want to box? Okay, jump in the ring. I said, okay, I jump in the ring. No problem. I jump in the ring. They were punching me, but I was punching them back, but no skills, you know? And they was like, he can fight. We have to teach him how to how to box. And the guy said to me, the coach said to me, Tony, he said to me, keep coming here. I'll see you tomorrow. Hmm. I was like, I was so happy. Oh man, best time boxing club. Like they have history behind them. They want me to go back in there. Like I was like, they want me. Like I'll go, I'm going to make them proud. I went there, I worked so hard, but really put aside that they're not teaching me how to box because I don't know, to call it racism, to call it, it was so many kids there, I wasn't the priority, I don't know what to call it. 
but they really didn't give me any attention. Um, I was hustling my own way to learn how to box. Um, so I just learned my craft every day. Um, whoever would do something good, I wanted to copy them. So, okay, they do this, I have to do this. I was just a very good watcher, good listener. You said um, you said a few minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes ago, you were saying, you said that remarkable thing where you said, "I when I get in the boxing ring, I'm not me. I'm somebody else. And I said I wanted to come back to that. Um, so let me ask you about that now. Um, who, who do you think you are when you're in that ring? I feel so free. I feel I'm the happiest man that no one can really compare themselves to me like happiness wise i feel i'm the freest man in the world this is so sad to say but if i get a phone call they say you lost your mother and i'm in a ring i don't really pay attention to that like this big nothing really matters to me i'm i'm really disconnected and when i fight it's just different i don't know how to bring it to the world for you like i love the violence i really love hurting that person in front of me it's just like, maybe I can take revenge. But when I'm out of that ring, I absolutely have no problem with anybody. I don't want to fight. I don't know, maybe maybe someone, maybe a scientist can figure figure this out. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. Like, I'm in a ring, I just love to fight. Well, when you say, I mean, the, I mean that's, you know, that laser-focused kind of notion. I mean, that is, you mentioned Mike Tyson earlier. That that was like Iron Mike, like he gets in the ring and he can't, you know. But but there's a side of it that sounds a little scary, too, that, you know, you you really want to hurt the person. I mean, that's a, that, maybe that is working out some of your past somehow or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but. I, I think so. I don't know. Like, I remember from my last fight, it was in Bemley Arena, Every round, I'm coming to my corner. My coach sees me very frustrated. And then I'm like, I need to hurt him. I need to knock him out. Every round. And then by the end, like, he cut, he had cut in his cheekbone. He had cut in his eyebrow. He needed stitches on his face. That bad, I hurt him. But I was really not happy because I couldn't knock him out because I didn't hurt him that bad for him to stop. I just don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's the nature of the boxing business or maybe it's just uh, me. But Because when I go in the ring, I just want to revenge for my hard but days. In, in a way, if it were, if it is true that that's the only place where you act this out, it's actually extremely functional. <laughs> like, like it's really impressive that you, you sort of can be this calm, logical, reasonable, um, you, you know, rational and uh, peaceful person who works out his issues in the ring. I mean, if that, if you could do that, you win, you win the, the key to life, right? I mean, that's, that's really well done. I was going to ask you if you're, if you're angry. I mean, forget about the, the, the ring for a second. I mean, we have so many prominent Iranians who come on this show and talk about all the things that they had when they were a kid, the primacy of their education and the important degrees they got. And you you come from a really tough neighborhood and you didn't really have the option to finish school at all. I mean, are there days, are there times, not in the boxing ring, where you are angry? 
about privileged kids who have it all, about being denied opportunities that others have? No, actually, you know, I have a lot of very, very wealthy individual friends. Um, and I have my mentor. I go to him every day. He always told me actually this. He was born a billionaire, one of the richest men in Israel. And he's, he's telling me, like, how do you feel? I'm like, I just know it's not fair, but I don't really feel about your son. You don't really choose where you're born, which family, you, which place. I don't feel like angry about it. I feel hungry about it hmm. because I tell him like, your kid cannot survive, to be honest. If you if you wait, if you die, if there is no money, what's going to happen to him? He can survive a day outside. Like you coming to me, ask, begging me, taking your kid on the street, teaching teaching him how to survive. Like, I can do that. You think I cannot be rich like you? Oh, but I'll be sometimes really upset. It's a lot of very basic things I didn't have in my life. Yes. I, I get upset not for, I don't know, money or like not having a lot of material things, but sometimes I really get upset because I couldn't spend time with my mother. Sometimes I'm, I'm really sad. Like, when you go through this much, life has a different meaning to you. Like, I never saw my father, and I'm 24 years old. I only spent five years of my life with my mother. Hmm. What if, if I die tomorrow? Because there is not, oh, no, don't say that. No, I survived a death. So it's different mentality. I just don't think the way you've, no, I'm not, talking about you, but I don't think like the way you think. Mm -hmm. Like we live, any person live on the edge every day. But you know, there's a, there's a, there's certainly a lot of adages or sayings or, you know, that there's, or affirmations where people say, you know, if you, if you've been through, you know, hell, um, you know that you can survive anything. And I get the sense that you, really know that you know that i mean you've said it you that you can survive anything most most people in this world i think not to go too far into the you know uh, uh, sort of a tangent but i i think one of the motivational factors for a lot of people in this world is fear everyone's afraid of things they're afraid of what others think they're afraid this might happen they're afraid that might happen you kind of know that no matter what you can survive right and and it feels yeah. like that that confidence is in you because because you've literally been through everything that the universe could throw at you. Yes, my, everyone got a fear. Everyone like my fear is not surviving. My fear is one day to not be the best in the world. You know, hmm. not to be one of the greatest. That's my fear. Like I wish my fear was a, to survive, or to make money, or to have a place to sleep. I wish that was my fear. Like my, my fear is like when I'm older, I want my name to be mentioned um, like among best, like Muhammad Ali. Like. Why? You, I mean, it's admirable, but why do you want so badly to be the champion? I believe that's the purpose I was born for that. Like, hmm. And you ask this question from yourself, why everyone died in the car except me? There should be a purpose that I'm alive today. 
why all my friends got stabbed and I didn't get stabbed even once? Mm. Or why like that day, that family, they didn't have the money to give my father. So am I just here to run away from home and have a good life abroad in, in, in England? And is that the purpose I'm alive today? I don't think so. I think I'm here to, to give back to, to community. I need to be somebody to help some people. I need to be a world champion. I need I need to be one of the greatest people out there to be able to save some lives. Who do you want to help? Anybody deserve the help. Anybody I can give back. Mm. We all have same rights, you know. Like it's your right to be happy. It's your right. It's everybody's right to live a good life. You're not born to to live a miserable life. That's not the purpose we are born. We are born to enjoy every second of our life. And if it's not that, if the day I wake up and that's not my purpose, I'd rather die. I'd truly rather die. Ali, I know your gym that you currently train at is in Finchley, uh, in that northern part of uh, London. There's a growing and large Persian community. Are they aware that there's this young star Iranian boxer in the hood? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, um, I don't know a lot of Iranian, and it's a shame because, again, I never had the opportunity to to be around Iranian community because I was at the gym trying to hustle to learn how to box or trying to survive here, you know. Or I always wanted to to be part of the society here, so I had to speak English. Uh, so I was always around it, like like English people, European people. But for my last fight, there were Iranian flag there so because some Iranian came honestly it was different if you were if you were to fight for a country right now would it be for the UK I mean I don't even know the answer to that um I would fight for both flags for UK and for Iran because I tell you why you can never get the fact away that um I'm Iranian for rest of my life I'm Iranian and I'm proud of it but I never forget as well like in this country, I achieved my dreams. In this country, made me a man. Like end of the day, when I was in Iran, like worse come to worse, I would go back to my mother's house. This country made me a man. There was no more place for me. I, I stood on my on my feet. So this country made me a man. I love UK. I love these people. They had faith in me. They gave me opportunity. Yes. Um, so, but by the way, though, I mean, just before we came to air, you told me you just ate Fes and Jun. So obviously, you can take the kid out of Southern Tehran, but you can't take Southern Tehran out of the kid. You're exactly. You're still. That's it. You're still chowing on <laughs> Fes and Jun at the first opportunity. You know, you're not eating a, yeah, uh, a fish I'll and chips. Be Iranian restaurant. If I have the chance, I want my. I want to have my kubi there. Uh, listen, I can't keep you forever. You've been so gracious. I, I, it's been a, a real treat to get to talk to you. Let me ask you a couple of last questions. One, are you are you making a living now being a boxer or do you have to do other jobs still? No, I'm, I'm making a living. I have, I have my contract with the biggest sport agency in the world called Was A Man and based in uh, LA. And I can't wait to get my British passport to come live in US, to be honest. Um, it is a big, big for me to live in a sunny country I love UK but 
I'm really fed up with London. Um, <laughs> so after, after all the nice things you just said about <laughs> about the country <laughs> making you a man, you're like first first opportunity. I'm going to California, baby. <laughs> that's yeah, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, hey, listen. The final question to you. It, um, uh, forgive me. I don't know. Is your mom still around? Yes, my mom is still around. Okay. Um, is she able to come and see you at Wembley? I don't. I don't think so for the next fight. But my my mother is in the process to move here forever to live with me, and I'm very delighted. I'm very happy. Really? Um, yes. Yes. That's amazing. I mean, I mean, in terms of a, a happy ending or a place that where this story goes, uh, your mom must be incredibly proud of you and incredibly heartened that she enabled the conditions where you've you've been able to to literally climb out of where you were at, right? My dream is just to make my mother proud of me, <laughs> my grandmother proud of me, my friends. You know, when I go to gym, there is a lot of people and I'm nobody. I'm just a hot prospect, as they say. I'm a hot prospect coming up, got the opportunity and the potential to be world champion. But when I go in the gym, you have to come and see there is literally five photographers there. There is people with a camera, my friends all sitting, not going to work, spending their time, coming, sitting there and watch me train. Someone's drying me with a towel, someone's giving me water and they all have faith in me. When I train, when I'm punching, honestly, I have no more power to punch. I'm exhausted. I'm in a really hard calorie deficit. I can't eat any food. I'm moody. The only thing truly, truly want to do one day, one of those examples is you. Oh, I talked to Ali Reza. I'm, I made friend with him. Uh, and now he's a champion. I just want to make you proud. I just want to make my friends proud. You know, they come spend their energy and their time. Time is valuable. I understand this. They come help me. You know, they give me all the love and the support and the energy. My biggest dream is just, I just want to make my people proud, to be honest, you know. Me being here, I already won. I don't want more, you know. I'm not in the ghetto. I'm making my living. I'm, I'm happy. I'm in a good place. I don't want more. Do you have a place for where your mama's going to live when she comes? Yes, I got a very um, beautiful penthouse on the 21 floor for my mother and uh, and I'm counting and I pay so much rent and I'm like, mom, please come quick because you need to see this place I got for you, you know. <laughs> so I want you to sit, live here for some time and then we can give it back, you know. Have, oh. have you told her that with all the excitement and love of her coming to the UK, you're going to take off to the US at your first opportunity? <laughs> I actually told her a couple of days ago, I said, mom, by the time you're here, I'll get my passport and I'm, and I'm gone forever. She's like, man, I'm coming to you. I'm like, um... So you stay here, enjoy the enjoy the life in the UK. No, I mean obviously here is always my home. Yes. Here is my base, yes. you know. Yes. But I want to come to US, be in the camp. I want to go. Um, there is a lot, you know. Boxing is in the US is huge. Maybe I can get a contract. But for next three years, I'm I'm signed with my promoter company here. But after that, maybe I can sign with a bigger promoter in US. Um, Again, as I said, I just want to dedicate my life to boxing and then be one of the greatest. And it's easy to say, 
But when you think about it and when you have to put the work in, it's like, it really scares me in my dream. But then if I made it here, I can make it to the rest, you know. Hey, Razor Ali, Ali Reza Qadiri, it's been a real pleasure, man, and actually an inspiration. I really, really appreciate you, and I appreciate the good that you want to do, and uh, I look forward to, to, to watching it and to staying in touch. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure for me to be here. Um, and thanks for hearing my story and then sharing it with other people. I hope one day I can inspire it doesn't need to be many people, even one person, because I know that person will give it to someone else. And that's how this circle get bigger and bigger. I want to Iran my my Iranian people to hear, just please don't give up. It doesn't matter how hard it is, you know, just fight for your dreams because dream can be one day your memory, you know. And it happened to me. I can tell you a lot of people are listening to this around the world right now and they will you will you'll likely hear from them and you really are an inspiration. Talk soon brother, take care of yourself. Merci. Thank you. Um thank you for the opportunity. I hope you enjoy the rest of the I think it's uh day there, right? Yes, it's uh, yeah, it's rest something of the day like that. Is, it's about to get dark here. It's already dark. Khodafes. Khodafes. is Rook episode 279. Our next guest on the best of Rook today is an Iranian-Swedish mixed martial artist who has had tremendous success as an athlete and as a fighter. Pani Bonsai Kianzad is the first and only Iranian-born woman ever to be signed by UFC. That's the ultimate fighting championship in the women's bantamweight division. Penny was born in Ahvaz. Her family immigrated to Sweden when she was only a year old. She started her career in boxing at the age of 13, and she knew she had found her passion. Penny knew exactly what she wanted. She became the 2011 Swedish national featherweight shoot fighting champion at the age of 19. She also fought in Invicta FC and Cage Warriors, where she held the bantamweight title. Penny is currently in the top ranking of the UFC women's bantamweight list. It's big time stuff, and at the time of this interview, she'd just come off a unanimous decision win in Las Vegas. Penny Kianzad joined me from Stockholm, Sweden for this chat. Here's our conversation. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm very well. It's good to have you on the program. <laughs> Thanks. Do I call you Panny or Bonsai? No, I like Bonsai, but <laughs> Panny is okay for now. <laughs> how, how, did you, how and when did you get the nickname Bonsai? Mm, I was an amateur and I was training with like uh, an old boxing coach. And uh, uh, he said that Bonsai was something that the Japanese like called out when before they went to war. That's right. Uh, and, and I mean, it suited me and it suited, suits my name. So it's like a warrior cry, yeah. right? It's like bombs away. Yeah. Yeah. It means uh, leave, leave no survivors. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. And, and is that your, your mantra? Or you, you, I guess you are kind of a warrior, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say that fighters are like warriors, but I just, I just like how the name and how the fighting name uh, goes well with my, the rest of my name. Um, 
Pawnee. And by the way, I'm doing the American version of Pawnee rather than Pawnee. Um, yeah. <laughs> and is Pawnee is like a short form of like Ponta or something? Is it? Do, yeah. It, it is. is. Oh, yeah. I was guessing. Yeah, but the, yeah, it is. But the thing is that like Europeans don't get it. You know, <laughs> it's only Iranians. Like if I would live in Iran, I would. I don't think I would ever call myself Pawnee. I think it would just be Ponta Arbat. Uh, it's just that they don't get it over here. Right, and, right. Uh, my parents called me that when I was younger, so it's it's just really easier to get by. Yeah, it's more of a. It's got a good Hollywood quality about it, Panty. You know, like yeah, yeah. Fine. It, it, it works. <laughs> Listen, I have to start by asking you. Uh, I mean. Uh, you're probably so involved in it that this question might not even mean anything to you. But I was thinking about you and I was thinking about your Iranian background. And, you know, Iranians are very, I mean, one Here. hates to generalize, but very, <laughs> very has sauce about how we look, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the nose surgery capital of the world or one of them, you know, and, and everybody does, you know, cares about their uh, women put on a lot of makeup or they get work mm-hmm. done or whatever. Um, that's not something... It occurs to me that you can really afford to worry about in your sport, right? You can't like go into a fight worrying about how your face is going to look at the end of it or something. Tell me how you how you manage those expectations of yourself. I mean, of course, I like to take care of myself. I mean, I'm not into all that plastic surgery stuff. I definitely want to fix my nose when I'm done, not like the appearance side of it just that i can breathe i haven't been able to breathe for 10 years uh that's the only thing i want to do when i'm done but uh when it comes to looks i mean i am i had this problem with my mom for like over 17 years <laughs> it's been like oh your face i'm like I, I wasn't that pretty to begin with so i'm trying to tell her that I'm not fucking things up too much you know but um yeah i mean a lot of people like haven't even thought about that. I know that uh, that the, a lot of the women look really good, Iranian women that they care on themselves and everything. I just like never thought about it like that. Uh, I always had like a boxer nose since I was a little, and you know the ears thing, you know the wrestling ears. But I I find it that a lot of the the Iranians that write me, they think it's you know. They don't care. Maybe even they think it's kind of cool looking. But well, I think I it's. I, I think it. First of all, I think it's awesome that you don't think about that. Uh, really, I didn't mean yeah. to suggest that you should. And no, 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 please. And also, I, I don't. I think. I mean, I, I don't know who says you're not pretty. I mean, you're, you're. you're no. I mean, you're. That's. I, I wouldn't say that. I certainly not. Wouldn't say that. Um, but this thing about not being able to breathe was that from a fight? Did something happen to your nose? Yeah, it's just like uh, um, the I don't know what's it called in English, but like the actual breathing holes, like the the nose thing here, nostrils. Need, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the kind of the bone inside here, it got like it's going this way. Mm. So if you look into my nostrils, you can see it one of the sides are totally blocked. Mm. It's because the bone has moved from my knee from a fight. And I think it happened like a lot of years ago, but then I I broke it the first time when I was like 15 and it's never been the same. I just, I can't breathe like through it. So when I sleep, I have to put like these like bandages over here. That works pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that's the only thing I want to fix. I don't really, I haven't never thought about like fixing my nose because 
even though if I'm going to quit fighting, I will probably still want to train. I don't mm. want to fuck it up, you know. So uh, I'm never thinking about like the cosmetic stuff because um, I have a huge scar of my nose, of the bridge of my nose here. Mm. I didn't I didn't know that. Right. OK. Yeah. It's it's a huge scar over. So maybe I will fix some of those stuff, but it's nothing that, you know, that I'm concerned about at all. Um, actually, if it would be something I would think about is to like when I'm done fighting, it would be just like my physical appearance to just like stay in shape. You know, right. Sure. That's the only thing. Right, right. Nothing else. So uh, take me back to how this all happened for you. You're this. You're this baby, this kid from Ahvaz. Your parents move to Sweden um, 30 years ago. Uh, um, when did you first get the sense that that being an athlete and being a fighter was something that you had in you? I mean, I started swimming a lot when I was like five, six in Sweden. Uh, my mom put me and my my brother into swim classes and I was failing like so bad. I couldn't even take a brand like one of those like things you get after like achieving a couple goals. <laughs> like I couldn't even. <laughs> Not a good swimmer. <laughs> no, I was a good swimmer. That's the thing. So uh, when my brother got those, he he got those and I, and I got really be pissed and I got like okay I want those too you know so I s s started to try harder and I actually became a good swimmer <laughs> because he stopped this swimming and I and I continued and you know my mom is just like super not super Persian but she's definitely the more traditional of all of us mm -hmm. I mean the rest of my family are not traditional at all if you would met my dad it would be you know weird because he's like the least religious the least you know, he's just a normal dude, you know. <laughs> okay. My mom is like, when I turned like 11, 12, I started to, you know, I started to get, get pretty toned. I'm, I'm, I'm not a small person. I'm like 5'7", and I'm, I weigh like yeah, 160. Sorry, one second. Mm -hmm. Do you come from a, an athletic family? Like, are your parents very athletic? Is that Was that something that came My naturally? dad was, uh, not okay. my mom. My older brother and sister were pretty athletic when they were younger, not after like 18. Okay, but my mom was like, she was like, yeah, when she see me getting like more uh, tone, more buff, and you know what does swimming do? They make you look a lot bigger, you know, pretty toned, like upper body, right? Pretty right. Wide. You're you're broad. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I started to get like pretty broad, uh, broad, and you know, um, I was training from like the age of five to eleven, pretty hard, and she was like, you're getting broad shoulders. <laughs> Maybe you should stop swimming. Right. You, you know this like Persian thing, small. You should be like super tiny. Little, little, little did she know what was to come with the. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't know that this is all her fault. <laughs> she <laughs> probably knows, she, but go ahead, yeah. Yeah. So when she started saying that, I was like, "I'll show you. I will go start boxing instead, just because." <laughs> was that really? So, was that really part yeah, of the consideration? Yeah. So wow. I found like a uh, because I always been this since I was a kid. I was always like. Because when we were in Iran and everything, I was like 11-ish when I was in Iran. I, I, I've always been, since I was a kid, like super feminist. You know, I've always been like, why do you think you're better than me? Because you're a dude, you know? Right. Wait, what do you but mean you were 11 like, when you were in Iran? I thought you left when you were one. No, but I, I we went back. That was oh. my first time that I went back. Okay, okay, right, right, right. Yeah, so I was visiting for two months. And, and I've always been this person that, 
because I'm brought up in Sweden, I've never seen the difference between girls and boys. Right. Because for me, it was like, what's the difference? Just, you know, just their parents and everything. And when they try to tell us, like, when we're there, okay, you're a girl, you should do this, you should wear it. I was like, I don't get this. I just like, because maybe they thought I was stupid, but I was like, I don't get it. And then when my mom told me that, yeah, maybe you should stop swimming, you're getting pretty broad shoulders, you're starting to look like really dude, you know? And then I was like, okay, then I will stop boxing. Just because I'm <laughs> going to show you that I don't care. And then uh, I went to a local boxing gym, but then, you know, I always been interested in uh, individual sports. That's why were you, I were you Were you good at boxing right away? I mean, it, it's uh, was it obvious that this is going to be something that you're going to be really really good at i was pretty good as a youth i was really good actually uh i started competing just a few months after because when you're that young you you're learning like really quickly mm. when i was only 13 when i started so i think i did like 25 fights before i quit um i was really good as a youth but when i came into like a junior and then senior i started getting really a lot harder. Uh, I wasn't from a really good team, and I I tried to like I was only sixteen by then, and I tried to like switch teams and everything, but it didn't work out really good. And by the age of eighteen, I did like my last senior fight, and and then I just like didn't like it anymore because I didn't feel I was getting better and I wasn't getting any help. So, but I came, I, I made like uh, some uh, national team uh, trainings with the Swedish national team as a youth. About that time when I was 18, I started finding MMA mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in wrestling and everything. So I just like slowly left boxing and just stopped doing boxing completely. A couple of steps back. I know you live in Malmo now, which is in the south. It's cl close to Denmark, close to co Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, and it's a pretty big city. But when you guys first moved to Sweden, you were in a, a small town or a small city, right? So yeah, just a smaller city. That's uh, boring. It's just like 40 minutes away from Malmo. Okay. What did the kids yeah. make of, I mean, especially once you start boxing, I mean, what... What did people make of you, this this girl with the Iranian parents living in a smaller town in, in Sweden and becoming this boxer and uh, the national team? I mean, what? how did um, other kids uh, treat you or think of you? I mean, uh, I don't think anybody has yeah. been enjoying school or, or classmates or anybody. I hear you. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. but what I felt after... I start training and getting like super excited about training and nothing else, you know, besides school and training, you know, the bullying stopped uh, because they, I guess they noticed that I didn't, you know, care anymore mm. because I had my mind focused on it, on something else. And I started to get more, you know, confident because I was getting in a lot better shape as, you know, a teenage girl, when you're like 14, you're starting are getting 15 okay you starting to you know feel better about yourself uh so i guess that was a good thing for me uh, especially coming from, like kind of from a small town and everything that helped me in school a lot penny when, when does it go from uh something you do in extracurricular and you're in your after school or on the weekends or to something that you were focusing every day on in a big way I mean, it wasn't supposed to be like this because when I started doing MMA at the age of 18, this was 2010. 
we didn't have that much MMA in Sweden. We have a couple of pros in Stockholm. And I wasn't planning to be a pro. I wasn't planning to, you know, compete like in MMA. Because when I switched over from boxing, from doing that my whole teenage years, I wasn't expecting to, you know, do anything in MMA. Because first of all, we only had two females in Sweden that done pro, but they were like a bit older and they were going to quit. And I mean, I could see that no, they weren't, they weren't getting any attention mm. and compared to the States, MMA for women in Sweden was like non-existing. But by 2014 and, and thereafter, you're, you're, you're winning fights and stuff. I mean, I can only imagine that you were training a lot, right? You, this isn't something you could do in your, just in your spare time kind of thing. No. So from when I was 17, 18 until 28, I was training full time and I was working full time. Mm. Wow. Right. Because by then I wasn't making enough money to live out of my sport. And I, and I didn't get my first paying sponsor until 2019. And when did so, you, when did you sign with UFC? 2019. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other so, level, right? Like yeah. to be a UFC fighter, suddenly you have international recognition, you you have credibility, yeah. all of that, right? Yeah, and it's a shame because I, I was fighting a lot earlier than that, you know, and I was doing a lot of big fights mm. before that. But, you know, I went pro at 2012. By then, I understood that, okay, I'm not going to make money until later on. So I was still like working my ass off. I was still working uh, full time. At one point I had like three jobs and, and training full time. Uh, so what were um, the jobs? What would you do while you were training? I used to work as a car painter, uh, <laughs> back from school. I used to work as a car painter in one of my dad's shops. Actually, I was pretty lucky <laughs> to get a job there. <laughs> and, uh, and I was working security at night. And then I was doing like, I was working my last seven years. I did assistant nursing at night. By then I was uh, quitting bouncing because the nursing job paid better. And uh, I had a few years that I worked like as a tutor in, in high school as well. So. It's quite a, quite a collection of jobs, car painting, security, yeah. nursing, <laughs> covering various professions. Uh, so the last seven years was like night jobs, only night jobs, just because it was easier to uh, handle my training. How does, um, I'm going to ask you a bit in, about your mom and your parents and how they adjusted to your career choice, but tell me about how UFC, how that signing happened. It seems so huge. What, did, did they come and scout you and, and is it a process that happens? You don't know over? my story with the UFC. Tell me. <laughs> it's been such up and down. So I applied for the first Ultimate Fighter ever for women in 2013, a year after I'd done my pro debut. I actually got in, uh, and this was when Rousey and Misha Tate were, were coaches. I don't know how much you know about the Ultimate Fighter. Well, Ronda Rousey movie. people know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but I got in in the Ultimate Fighter in 2013, got sick, so I couldn't participate. Um, the years went by, I kept fighting, uh, and then I got into the Ultimate Fighter 28 at 2018. So I was in the house fighting in there in Vegas. Uh, I got to the finals. That was pretty big. 
for being like the first ever Swedish fighter to come to a final. I lost the final and I was kind of surprised that UC didn't sign me. Because usually when you participate in the Ultimate Fighter, uh, the two finals always get a contract. But surprisingly, I didn't get a contract. And I was already like 15 pro fights in. Mm. So that was a lot of pro fights. So I went back home and I was like, fuck, this is the end. You know, I've been fighting for a long time now. This was 2018 and I was getting pretty, you know, sick of it, Mm. kind of. Because I was like, okay, so if the biggest league like in the world when it comes to MMA didn't sign me when they had this perfect opportunity and I was already fighting for them. And they kind of cut me and I felt like, shit, this is going to take, I know how, how this worked. And it's, it takes a lot to get signed again. Sorry. Why you know, did, why didn't they sign you? I don't get it. I don't get it either. So that's the, okay. <laughs> that's my long story with right, them. Right. Uh, so we don't, we don't really know actually. So if you compare me to like a lot of other girls, I had the most fights on the roster. Mm. I have the most like, professional fights uh, and a good record as well uh, so for me it was kind of like shocking I was like oh, you know first I was like I hate the UFC I never want to fight again and so I actually didn't like I was training and everything and and then in Stockholm I got an offer to fight in Stockholm and I was kind of pissed to fight at home because I was like I- I'm UFC material I'm not gonna fight at a local you know, mm-hmm. events because yeah, yeah. I was so pissed. Right. But they found me a pretty good opponent that was uh, just been fighting in big, in big organizations and everything. So I beat her. And then after that, you know, the UC was still not interested in me. Um, the weeks went by and I went off my night shift and I actually got a call to fight on the John Jones card in 2019. So that's when I got my contract. It was kind of a uh, I showed to them too, like, you should have signed me from the beginning, but yeah. this is fine too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is okay too. Uh, so yeah, uh, first ever Persian uh, female to get signed by UFC. Uh, we had a couple guys, Reza Madadi, and um, I am pretty sure it was one more, but I can't remember. Mm. So. Well, that's, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's really, to tell me, um, just let me ask you a couple of questions about being a fighter. What, first of all, a very simple buddy. What, what, what do you love about it? I mean, why is this such a passion for you? I mean, first it came from being this cool thing that not many people do. You know, when I started, it wasn't really a big thing in Sweden. A couple of people were doing like, you know, pro fights. We had, we had Alexander Gustafsson and everything. And, you know, but then it became like a thing. Okay, I was like thinking about it. I'm like, shit, there is not many Swedish MMA, like female fighters. Mm-hmm. And I think I could be really good at this, you know? And then, you know, a, a training maniac. I always love training, even though if I'm not going to fight and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm living like the absolute disciplined, dedicated life of like, I always train twice a day, even though if I have a fight or not. It's just like my job. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be an athlete, and it just happened to be MMA. How long do you train for when you train twice a day? One hour in the morning, maybe two hours in the evening. Totally depends. Basically, my whole my whole day it just is about training, recovering, eating. Do you have to police your diet a lot, or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Especially now when I'm injured, is even more important. 
for me not to get fat. <laughs> no, but uh, just I'm, I'm, I'm scheduling my diet because the most important thing is that for me to get like good food in my body or else I can't like perform. I mean, I can have a shitty day of training if I've been eating shit. Mm. So then I can't like perform to my fullest. You did an interview and, once where they asked you what your favorite food is and you said your mother's Persian food. Olivia. <laughs> There's not was, much of that. Yeah, you can't. I, I was thinking, <laughs> which which Koresh are you allowed to eat before the fight? No, shit. No, oh. the, the only time I eat my mom's food basically nowadays is just like after, maybe on weekends or after a fight. I can't eat that uh, food all the time, but that won't work. Oh. <laughs> You're killing me. I, I, I do I do eat it as much as I can. And uh, I know I probably shouldn't for those reasons. But, no, it's, just that it's because I know myself and, I'm, and I know after all these years, I know my body and I know that diet like for fights will be so much easier if I don't eat that food. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what, in your view, makes a great fighter? Two things, I, I think. Uh, three things. Three things. <laughs> Discipline, heart, and cardio. So disciplined enough to be able to do the cardio. Because <laughs> mm. uh, I think uh, for a fighter, conditioning-wise is the most important thing. You can forget about technique and strength. Because you got to be able to last. Cardio, you got to be able to last. Is that, is that what yeah, that is? Yeah, of course. I mean, because if, I mean, I can definitely, I'll beat somebody that's better than me technically because if she doesn't have the energy for it, I'm definitely going to beat her. Mm. Um, and hard, yeah, because you have to love to do it, and you, sometimes you have to dig deep. So, can you tell me a bit about your mindset when you go in the when you go into a fight? You know, we've had uh, had a few actually very accomplished um, uh, female Iranian martial arts champions, right? We've had Farinoz yeah. Alari and Nassim Varistair, Um, but that's karate. And, and you know, I asked mm -hmm. someone like Nassim, well, what is it like when you go, when, when you go into a fight? And she, that's all about discipline in terms of controlling yourself. I, I don't know about in MMA. Uh, I, I mean, it, it looks so raw, you know, I, I well, tell me a bit about the mindset when you go into a fight, are you in it to kill or do you have to maintain that discipline or what do you, how do you psych yourself up? I mean, for us is the most important thing to uh, be aggressive, but like, like you said, controlled because you can't go in there wild and just swinging because, or else anybody on the streets could be able to be in an MMA fight. I mean, I, you have to be a really smart person. You have to be a smart fighter to be a good MMA fighter. It looks raw and everything, but it's a lot of technique. And I'm guessing for me, it's like a lot of like calmness because you have so much loud things around you, like in around the cage and everything. And, you know, people are there to, you know, see blood and everything. Uh, so it's easy to get really, you know, nervous and kind of like, um, yeah, like pretty stiff. Uh, so for me, it's more like to be relaxed. And when people ask me if I get nervous, I'm like, yeah, of course I get nervous. It feels like I'm going to, you know, piss my pants sometimes uh, when I go in there. But it feels <laughs> all I always try to feel like everybody are here to see me. So, <laughs> so everybody are here to see me perform. So I'm trying to enjoy the moment. Are you thinking technique the whole time or have you yeah, done? I do. That's you do? my problem. I think too much. Uh, I think too much like, well, it's not a problem, but I'm always thinking like in my head step by step. Uh, and that's a good thing because I'm not really that uh, reckless. Mm. 
as a fighter. I actually have people that told me, you know, coaches that told me you need to be more reckless. But I was like, I don't, I don't do reckless. <laughs> I'm, I'm a good technician, you know. I'm, I'm really good at, you know, what I do, and uh, I don't get reckless. But I could. You just need to know when to turn it off and turn it on. You, you got a, you've got an amazing record. I mean, I. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you've only good. you've ever you've only ever been knocked out once in your career, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I only be TKO'd once, but yeah, I have a lot of fights, and you know, it's, uh, I have one of the most like biggest records in Scandinavia. So I've been fighting a lot. Uh, so what? So but, what, what? What do you? What? What? If I mean, no Torov, you know, the the show is called mm-hmm. Rock. Be blunt, you know what? What is it that you think makes you so good? Mm, I put in a lot of time. To be honest, but I, I, I'm really disciplined. Hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I um, for me, even though I injured myself, and uh, I mean, I was in the gym the day after doing what I could do. You know, training is not always fun. Sometimes you feel like shit. I do not want to change. I don't want to spar today. I don't want to do anything today. But it's just like a part of it. And just because I always had a dream when I was a kid that I wanted to be a good athlete and uh, I mean, now I get the chance to live like a full athlete dream to yeah. be training every day. I mean, I'm trying to, you know, take advantage of that. And uh, especially when I got into the UFC, because I've seen a lot of teammates, I've seen a lot of friends come into the UFC. And what they do when they go in there is that they kind of relax. They sign the contract mm. and maybe they fight, maybe they win, maybe they don't win. But they relax. They're like, okay, I I, I reached the peak mm. of my career. Now I'm gonna chill. And that's the problem is that you haven't reached anything just because you signed your first contract to come into UC. You reach your peak when you're a champion in your weight class, and you decide to quit. That's when you reach your peak. Mm. When I got into UC, I went up to the management, like to the matchmakers, and said you will not regret signing me and I'm going to win all my fights. That's what I So. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And even when you were injured, that what you tweeted was, don't worry, I'm still going to be become number one. Yeah, uh, and- I am going to be number one. And, 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 and that's the funny thing. Like when, when I say that, some people laugh at me. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna. This is gonna be hilarious in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is gonna be super fun. <laughs> uh, I, I'm so grateful. I, I know it's uh, it's late there in Stockholm, and and I'm really grateful that you've, you're making the time for us. Thanks for doing this. Before I let no, you go, let me ask yeah. you about identity. Before I let you go, because yeah, um, no Iranian around the world that's gonna miss this when you are out there publicly it's no surprise that you're repping sweden because you grew up in sweden you've been there for 29 years of your life but you also always have an iranian flag you always um Mm. talk about being iranian you're very proud of your persian background and you wear it very publicly despite leaving iran when you were only a year old why why do you feel such a profound impulse to identify as iranian you know you should never forget where you came from and everything. And uh, I mean, I always have like an Iranian background and and I'm not really repping, oh, you know, only Iran, like the country. I'm repping like people. Mm. It's not like, oh, this is the best country in the world. Cause, let's be honest, it's not. It's not the best country to live in. Mm-hmm. But it's just like where my parents came from because because Iran was, was a free country when my parents grew up. And they tried to make the best out of it for us. And I'm really happy that they took us to Sweden. 
really happy about that. But I'm never going to forget, like, I'm repping Iran and I'm in the Iranian flag just because people and I want them to know that I'm, I'm proud to be an Iranian woman. Mm. And I, yeah, you might have a little more trouble getting into UFC if you were still in Iran. Um yeah, exactly. That wouldn't right. even happen because yeah. women, I, I don't even know, if, like, I, even though that I can't walk in with my flag in the UC fights because uh, of the Shiro Khorshid Yeah, flag. I was, so I was going to ask you about it. Let me, yeah. let, let me explain that you usually have the Shiro Khorshid flag. Um, which is the, the, the lion and sun flag, uh, which is all through the, from the Gajar to the, the Pahlavi um, eras, etc. Mm. Uh, you have it on you or near you. You even have one, I've, I noticed on your car, you have uh, yeah. a Shida <laughs> oh, Khorshid. Uh, um, it was my sponsor. When he gave me the car, he put a Swedish flag and he, put, he actually took the right flag without me telling him. Wow. I don't even know how we did that. But why? Tell me why it's important for you to have that flag, and why why it causes trouble, or why you can't bring it in when you're fighting. First of all, it's not approved by the UN the flag anymore because mm-hmm. it's an old flag. Right. You can't have it in Iran because they have the Islamic flag, right? Right. Uh, and the Islamic flag is nothing that I stand for. Nothing. It doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. for me. I remember I do. I was doing my pro debut, and I asked my dad, "Oh, can you give me an Iranian flag?" And you know, my dad is the right person to ask. <laughs> so he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I have to fix that one. It's gonna take some time." I'm like, "Why don't you just, you know, how how hard can it be?" And then he came and he gave me the flag, and he gave me the one with the lion, and that's when he explained to me. I was like. Yeah, that was good that you gave me the flag because or else I would have gone the wrong flag. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so, uh, and yeah, that's why I can't walk in with it. Mm. I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but it, who's noticing this at a, at a I mean. Who? I mean, I think just because the flag is not approved, I don't I think see. they want any trouble. I see. And it's right. gonna it's, it's shown on TV and everything. Of course, and of it's course. Weird. Right, but when right. I was on Ultimate Fighter, they didn't say anything. I just walked in with it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always repping the two flags because I've been in Sweden most of my life. Mm. So, Pani, do you hear from people on social media from from Iran? I mean, that I'm sure people around the world are Iranians are aware of you, uh, especially because you wear that so proudly. What 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 do you hear from Iranians, and and how does that affect you? How does it make you feel? I mean, I basically hear only good stuff, and if if I look on a statistic my biggest fans is is actually Iran by far the greatest like mm. even more than the Swedish ones so it's I have the most fans in Iran the states and then actually last week <laughs> it's, it's a smaller country so right, um, right. I mean, much smaller yeah, country, yeah so I get a lot of good response from Iran and there's sometimes some guys writing something in Farsi and that you have to translate and then you're like ugh you know I don't give a fuck so <laughs> yeah I don't that's care. clear yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and 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 tell me about um so and tell me about your your parents I mean I, I'm now you've got me curious about your mom since she, My mom uh, is special. she, 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 it's it is to her that you owe your career as a uh, what what went from a rebellious uh, antic to to a career for you. Um, how does she feel? They've got to be proud of you as in the discipline yeah. you've shown and you know the champion I you've mean, become. And talk to me about that. 
my mom is proud and everything, but she still doesn't like the actual fighting. But my dad has been my biggest supporter for all years. When I was about to quit and everything, he was the one that made me not quit because he he used to be an athlete, so he gets it. And he all he's always been like that. No marriage, no this, no that. You just focus on career, only sports. You know, he's always been like that. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty. You're lucky to have him. Yeah, because I know I know a lot of like friends, close friends that have problems with that stuff. Yeah. When yeah. it comes to even now, like 2022, you, I, I don't know if I'm out of date, but you, uh, a couple of years ago at least, you had a boyfriend who was also a fighter. Are you, mm-hmm. are you guys still together? Uh, no. Oh. I like how you, you had to think about it. No. <laughs> you weren't no, sure. No, no, no. Or, I mean, I have, I have a boyfriend now since like six years back. If it's uh, that guy, you mean? So no, yeah, it was I a guy. It was that. like a couple of years ago. There was some, uh, you know, documentary that there was about you and and your boyfriend was in it as well. Yeah, that's the, Elas. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Okay, but yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's him. So you yeah. could you can find love amongst the the fighting community. Yeah, yeah. We we met in training. Uh, he's he's originally from Kosovo. And we actually came to Sweden the same year, hmm. so in '93. Uh, yeah, he fights too, and he, he he helps me in my training and my camp and everything. Right, right. So. Do you know uh, something that I thought was amazing about you that <laughs> uh, um, your favorite band or one of your favorite bands is Pantera? Yeah, which, I love Pantera. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like so out of the I mean it's like an 80s heavy rock band you know yeah. uh, which was way before your time I mean I know who Pantera are but uh, I don't even know you know how did you discover Pantera because I was a metalhead when I was a teenager I was going around all Sweden to watch metal concerts and just because I stopped going to concerts because uh, my training started to get more serious than anything it, it else, makes so. me really, really like you. You know, the first Iranian, <laughs> first Iranian girl I found who was a Pantera fan, yeah, but <laughs> who, I, I who would name check Pantera as their favorite band. I mean, it's very, it's very fun for me. You know, that's. A, I have a Persian metal band that's been following me for a long time, and I can't remember the name now. But they're, oh. yeah. Are they Persian from LA? Metal. Are they the, that LA uh, metal band? Uh, I have to check because I don't know, but they do Persian metal, so that's pretty cool. That is cool. That <laughs> is cool yeah that's that's who yeah. you should be repping find the persian yeah. metal band and promote them that's um it's great to talk to you tell me about if if we have this if we chat again i mean in the interview format uh, hopefully we'll we'll chat many times and i'll i can't wait to see you fight live but if i interview you say five years from now yeah what do you hope you will have accomplished in in your your fighting career at that point UFC champ, 135 pounds, definitely. Five years? Yeah. Earlier. But yeah. We can chat about it in five years. We'll chat about it earlier. I'm looking forward to cool. it. Nice. Congratulations on all that you've Thank done. You. Take care of yourself. Nice. Uh, get better. Thank and, you so uh, much for the chat. Uh, it's been fantastic. I, I hope we do it again. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. It's a conversation with Penny Bonsai Kianzad. She was in Stockholm, Sweden. And this is full time for the best of Rook today. For all things Rook related, rookmedia.com is the place to go. That's where all of our previous episodes are, our funnies, our videos, all of our programming, rookmedia.com. 
We're going to give you the best of Rook every Monday and Thursday throughout August. Back to our new programming starting in the first week of September. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Smart Pega, Talented, Anahita, Bearded, Omid, Savvy, Roham, Super Parisaw, Sound Person, Louise. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please do subscribe on any or all of our platforms if you've not done so already. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. In the meantime, Mizunbashi. Bashi.